Good to see you. Please go to Ecclesiastes 3, and I have uh, drawn a little, a little clock. Ecclesiastes 3. I've drawn a little clock with the hand, and I put the hand at, at 6 o'clock in the evening, but at the top of the clock it says 70. At 3 o'clock it says 17. At 6 o'clock it says 35. And at 9 o'clock it says 52. Some of us, if you look at your life as a clock, 12 going all the way around being 70 years, some of us fortunately are still in the 17 slot. You're just 17 and you've got three quarters of your life ahead of you to be what God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do. Some of you in this building are the age of Christ when he fulfilled his ministry, the age of 30, 35, and you still got over half your life to pursue what God has for you. Some of us are around that 52, 53, 59 margin where three quarters of our life we have invested and we have, we have, we have lived and we still have a quarter of our life to come. And then those of us around the age 70, uh, good news, you'll be dead tomorrow. You'll go to heaven. God is good. God is faithful. But I, 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 drew, this, I drew this clock for a reason because I believe that there are things that God wants to do and things that God wants us to be. I believe that everyone in this room has potential. I believe you the potential to do great things. And through the word of God, God used people. It seemed like every single one of them found themselves in a place in life where they asked, God, where are you? What's going on in my life? Uh, the past couple of days, Pastor Ron had been ministering to a family that through the course of human services, the kids have been taken away and they're, they're literally going through uh, the hurt, the pain, frustration. I texted them last night and said that I was praying for them. They text back and said, God really needs to do something or we're going to go insane. And I text back a statement that Rod Parsley is making quite a bit on his breakthrough is that for God to do nothing is impossible. For God to do nothing is impossible. God does respond. God does move. God, does, God, God has got a purpose and a plan. And I meant to wear my watch today that, uh, that, I, that I, it's not a very fancy watch. It's just a watch that keeps time. But if you'll, if you'll look at your watch, you'll notice the only thing the watch does is tell you what time it is right now. And that's what we call chronos or chronological. It doesn't, your watch doesn't tell you what to do, how to do it, where to do it. It simply tells you what time it is. And I've learned that even a stopwatch, a broken watch, is right twice a day. Whether, you're, whether you feel like your life is all messed up, all out of sync, there are seasons in your life when your time is going to roll around, your calendar is going to roll around, and God is going to bless it, and God is going to use it. And you say, well, that's easy for you to say. No, it's not so easy for me to say because I feel like there have been some sea laws in my life that I didn't like. There's a time when I've been put on the back burner, or things have been put on the back burner, that I didn't like. And as I celebrate 35 years of, of serving God and 33 years of full-time ministry, there's a lot of times when you just kind of throw your hands up in despair and you quote God back his word that he said he would never leave you or forsake you, that he would provide this, he would provide that. And your question is, okay, God, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, then why am I, why am I all messed up? Why are there so many things going wrong in my life? But as Pastor Connie said, God's time it's not our time. Our time is chronos. God's time is Keros. And there will be spiritual, there will be supernatural spiritual seasons in your life when God will intervene, God will move, and you will know obviously that it is God. Then there are times when you feel like that God has not, ne not necessarily removed his presence, but removed his agenda from you, and you find yourself in seasons of either intercession or prayer or frustration. Uh, received some very encouraging uh, a report several weeks ago, and that report had to do with this house, with this body. There was a young married couple that came to our church having some, some real struggles, some real issues, some real things going on. And uh, God used the pulpit, God used the ministry to touch them, to minister to them. And in reconciliation, a beautiful baby girl was born. Austin's going to help me with this beautiful baby girl. And uh, I, I saw this picture last night and said, I want my mullet back, my MTV and my 8-track. Isn't that a good-looking mullet I got there? I, I miss that. I miss that mullet. 
But I'm dedicating, this baby is just a few weeks old. Her name is Sasha. Look at somebody and say, Sasha. Through the course of Sasha turning four to five years of age, there was a major challenge in the marriage. There was a separation. There was a divorce. And the mom took this baby away from her father and hid her for 15 years. For 15 years, this dad, this godly man, looked for his daughter. He looked through internet. He looked through Facebook. He looked through every social media. I believe that there was a, uh, a private investigator involved, but ironically, somehow through Facebook, he found her. He reconnected with her and let her know that he did love her. He did not abandon her. Mom had told her that her dad didn't want anything to do with her. So all those years, she grew up without a dad. She is a Marine. She has served two tours in Iraq, is getting ready to go back. But yesterday... Yesterday, dad and daughter, 15 years later, were reconnected. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And now all the time lost, they're making up, they're sharing, they're, they're now getting ready to plan some events later on in the year, later on in life. And God is a God that operates, not again on our time, but he operates on his time. The Rolling Stones sang a song several years ago that said, time is on my side. And I want to take that rock and roll uh, uh, statement there, and I want to entitle this message this morning, time is on my side. Time can be my friend. When I look at the story of the prodigal son, it was time that brought him back. The time that he lived in the world, the time that he sold his wild oats, the time that he found himself starving, the time he found himself away from his father, away from his God, he decides to go back home. Had he not gone through all the storms of losing everything, had he not gone through the storms of all, of the, all the regret, all the remorse, and all the negativity in his life, he may not have turned his heart back towards his father. But time was the one element that brought him home. And I believe today that every one of us are operating, not just in Kronos time, obviously, but we're all also operating in Carol's time. I am not really a big calendar keeper. I am now. I've been booking some meetings. I'll be in Tulsa. I'll be in Wildwood, Florida. Uh, I'll be in Minnesota before the year is over. And so on my calendar, I've been putting where I'm going to be, the pastor's name, and I've been Xing off the dates that I'm, I'm going to be gone. But I'm not a big calendar kind of guy. But those of you that are all into agendas and those of you that are all into calendars, I'm sure that you have a calendar with obviously, hopefully your birthday on there and hopefully your spouse's birthday and your children's birthday and hopefully my birthday, October 28th, which is a very important day for you to remember that you will go through your calendar and you will see things marked on your calendar that determines what you're going to do that particular week or month or year or that particular day. And the question I would like to ask you, is your agenda, is your calendar, is your, is your journal, is it making you a better person or is it just keeping you busy? What are you doing today to make you a better person or are you just staying busy? I remember several years ago when there was staff here and I had two administrators working full time. I remember the night before I would take a legal pad and I would write down everything I wanted to do that day. And Hannah, I'd always write two or three things more than I knew I could accomplish. So to make sure it was a full day, at the end of the day, I would take that legal pad and I would mark off whatever I hadn't delegated or what, what I got accomplished. I marked those things off. And the things that I did not get done that day, I rolled them over until the next day. And as I look back now, 34 years of ministry or 34 years of serving God, I wish that I'd kept a little better track of the time that God had given me to grow and to become what God wanted me to be. Do I have a friend in the house today? I wish that I had, I wish that I had used the time more wisely. I'm not a big television watcher. I'm not a big sports fan. There's not a lot of time that I, that I spend on the couch and a lot of time that I spend uh, watching basketball games or football games. Or, I've never really been a spectator. I like to go. I like to play. I like to go live. But I'm just not a person that wastes a lot of time on the couch. But there's some things that I have done in my life that probably when I line up with, with what God wants me to do, what God wants me to be, I probably have wasted some time. And I regret that. I regret, I regret that I've done that. 
But I realize now I'm not really too old to readjust my calendar, readjust my schedule, look at my schedule and see, are these things that I've got planned today or tomorrow, are they making me a better person or are they just keeping me busy? Do I have a friend in the house? Ephesians 5 and 16 says that whatever you do, redeem the time for the season that we are in is a short one. And there is going to come a day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give account of everything we did or did not do. I don't know if you've been watching the, the, the news media at all. I don't know if you're aware of what's going on right now in Israel, but the Bible in the book of Daniel talked about where we're at right now, where Israel is under attack. You know what's so ironic? Every single day, without exception, the country of Israel is in the main multimedia every single day. Do you know the, the country of Israel is half the size of the state of Georgia, a little tiny piece of land there that Abraham put his staff and said, everything I see belongs to God. That little tiny piece of land has been at war for the past 4,000 years. And now you are aware today that they are, they are bombing the villages, the Palestinians, the Abbas, those that are causing all the hurt and all the terror. And, and I, I learned yesterday, and I know this, but they are dropping pamphlets from the air, letting all the residents know we're going to bomb this area tomorrow, so get out, get safe. I don't know anybody going to war that would do that, but that's just the way that Israel operates. I believe, it. I believe we need to honor them. I, would, I believe to bless them. I believe we need to pray for Israel, pray for peace in Jerusalem, because we are grafted into that vine. We are that Gentile that's been redeemed. And I believe that Gary would agree that there are born-again, spirit-filled Jews today that accept Jesus as Messiah. They're praying in the second coming of Christ. And we are seeing right before our very eyes that the word of God, the prophecies that took place in Matthew 24 are actually taking place in your generation. Matthew 24 said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world for a witness, and then shall the end come. And we understand with satellite television right now, the word of God is being beamed into 159 countries of the world. Every single country of the world has the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that prophecy concerning the rapture, the return of Christ has taken place in your generation. It took place in this in this generation. So we are living we are living a life that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, Jesus could sound a trumpet, could shout, raise us up, meet him in the air, go to heaven for seven years for a wedding and then enjoy the, the, the thousand year millennium where we rule and reign with him. Then we come back and the armies of God will defeat the armies of the Antichrist. Does that excite anybody? And to me, that's more exciting than Transformers. That's more exciting than Batman. That's more exciting than Twilight, that I'm going to be one of those redeemed riding on a white horse with a sword in my hand fighting for God. How those of you that want to fight all your life, you're going to get your chance. Those of you that can't stand to have a chip knocked off your shoulder, you're going to get those of you that have an attitude, you're going to get your chance to, to I, don't, I don't want to say raise hell, but I was thinking it. You're going to get a chance to raise hell in the army of the enemy and defeat the devil and he will be bound forever and forever and we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ forever and forever. Does that excite anybody in the building? I wanted to look at a couple, of, a couple of stories in the Bible, and I want to look at some of the people in the Bible that have gone through seasons of waiting for God, gone through seasons of waiting for God to do what God had promised to. Most of you know that when I gave my heart to the Lord, I weighed 119 pounds. I was struggling with cocaine and some other, some other negatives. In the next several months, I began to I began to exercise, I began to work out, I began to gain weight. And there was a three-year window when I, when I traveled the nation and the world as a divorced evangelist. It was scary. Some of the doors that God would open, there were some doors that closed. When pastors found out I was divorced, I don't resent that. I, I believe that God sends me where he wants me to be regardless. So if that God didn't want me to that church, I understand all of that. But there was a season in my life, there was a season what I call waiting, and in that season of waiting, there was a special place that I would go and I would pray. And I want to I just leave with you today, in case I miss any of this message, my focus today is to let you know that everyone in this house needs a chair. Everyone in this house needs a place where you can go and be alone with the Lord. And the sound, the sound guys were so good to set up my chair and to set up my lamp and to set up my coffee cup and to set up my ashtray. 
I don't smoke, and I'll share later why the ashtray is there, because some of you that smoke in the morning with coffee, I'm going to share how you can have a smoke with God and probably not get all condemned and all convicted. Do I have a, do I have a smoker friend in the house? Let's have somebody help. I mean, we're, trying to, we're trying to deal with that, but while we're dealing with that, aren't you glad that cigarettes will not send you to hell? It just makes you smell like you've been there already. Do I have a, do I have a non-smoking friend in, in the building? But I have, I have learned through the seasons of time, and I'm just going to jump right in here and tell you that every morning, and those of you who know our story, Pastor Rhonda and I and Spike, we all get up about the same time. Spike always barks and runs out in the front yard and does his thing and barks at everything that's not moving. Pastor Rhonda and I, I'm usually to the coffee pot first. I get the coffee, the little one, the one cup thing. It makes my cup. I put my, just the right amount of cream. And then I head upstairs and usually me heading upstairs. She's heading downstairs. I've got the coffee. Haven't got a chance yet to devour it. She's headed towards the, the, the pot. We, sometimes we grunt. Sometimes we just, eh, sometimes we, eh, sometimes we do absolutely nothing. We're like strangers in the night exchanging like a ship at, at, at sea, just passing, passing ships in the night. And I head to my bathroom. Those of you that have been to my house, you know that 10 years ago I dug up all the grass and I put a rock garden in. I started planting perennials and I thought it would be a blessing that I wouldn't have uh, as much lawn to mow. That was like the guy that lost his hair. He thought he would have less hair to comb, but it turns out he has more face to wash. <laughs> now I have no grass to mow, but I have more weeds to pull. I can grow weeds six, seven foot high. I just let them grow to see what they're going to turn into. But most of you know that I have a perennial garden. This morning I counted 39 different perennials in bloom in my garden. I'm sitting there counting them. I'm watching the hummingbirds. But in, in, my, in my daily devotion, I will go to my bathroom window. I will lift the window up and I will stand there. I will drink a cup of coffee and I will just listen. It's not a whole lot of me telling God what I want him to do, a whole lot of me telling God what I want to see happen. It's just a matter of Patty just enjoying that garden, enjoying the hummingbirds, enjoying all, all the blooms, and just listening. Just what, 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 it, what is God going to nudge me with today? What is going to say with me today? It's only a 15-minute one. Every once in a while, I'll get involved. I've got a, I've got a book in my, in my bathroom that's on creation by Grant Jeffries, incredible book about some of the promises of the, of, the, of the cosmos and the God of the universe. And I'll read a chapter of that. Sometimes I do a two-cup coffee window visitation. But there's a special place in my house that I go to be alone with the Lord. There's a song that says, there are days I like to be all alone with Christ my Lord. I can tell him all my troubles all alone. Can anybody, can anybody relate to that? The time when you, you can't talk to your wife about it. You can't talk to your pastor about it. You can't talk to your son or daughter, your employer, your brother, your sister. There's really no one there. First of all, you hate to throw, you hate to vomit on people. You hate to always be negative. You hate to always be griping. But what I've learned, God can handle any vomit, any regurgitation, anything that we throw his way. He has the ability to take something bad and make it into something good and for us to realize he was there all the time. I said he was, he was there waiting patiently in line. Sometimes God has got to get behind other things that we have placed as a priority that are more important to us than him, but he's there in line. And if we have time for him, he will respond. He will move in our behalf, and he will answer some questions that we are asking. For God to do nothing in your circumstance is impossible. It's impossible for God to lay dormant. It's impossible for God to be neutral. God is aggressive. God is aggressive, passive. He's the one that steps in and makes things happen in your life. And as you look at your spiritual watch, I believe there's a date on a calendar in God's library, in God's agenda, that he's going to bring what you're looking for. He's going to bring what you need. And you're going to realize this is the day the Lord hath made. This is my day. This is the day that God did it for me. This is the turnaround day in my life. This is that season has come to an end. And now there's a brand new season. Do I have a friend in the house that would like to see them step into a brand new season. When I look at Genesis, if you go with me, if, if, you, if you'd like to go with me to the 16th chapter, and there's a reason why I have 21 Bibles up here. Are you, are you at Ecclesiastes 3? Let's do that first. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 3. Reading from the message, which is a 2014 translation of today's lingo. There, there's an opportune time to do things, a right time for everything, 
on earth. A time for birth, another for death. Last week from this pulpit, we asked this church to pray. It was time for Paul to go home. Paul had gone through, he was at a place where he was ready to go, told the family he was ready to go. He got to love on the family, he got to be with the family, but he was a place in his life where it was hurting him to stay. Last Sunday, we asked you to pray that God would come and take Paul home. Do you remember? Thursday, God answered that prayer, and, and God took Paul home. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant, another time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to destroy, and a time to construct, a time to cry, and a time to laugh, a time to lament, and a time to cheer. A time to make love, a time to abstain, a time to embrace, and a time to part, a right time to search, and another time to count your losses, a time to hold on, a right time to let go. I, li I like this one, a right time to shut up, look at your neighbor, another time to speak up, a right time to love, a right time to hate, a right time to wage war, a right time to make peace. But in the end, does it really matter or make any difference what anybody does? I've had a good look at what God has given us to do. Busy work, mostly true. God makes everything beautiful in itself and its time, but he's left us in the dark so that we can never know what God is up to, whether he's coming or going. I remind you, this was written by Solomon in the Old Testament before the cross, before the revelation of the cross, before the revelation that we are sons and daughters of God, that now we can know his ways, we can know his thoughts, that his mind can be our mind and we can connect and we can find out what God is doing. Aren't you glad that you're not an Old Testament living under the law, that if you mess up, you've got to take a calf or a, or a lamb or a dove, sacrifice it on the altar, do penance, and you're forgiven. Aren't you glad that any time of day... Any day of the week, any week of the year, you can go beyond the veil. You can step in the presence of God. You can feel his glory. You can feel his power. You can feel his love and know that he has forgiven you. Somebody needs to give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. So here's what Solomon says. I've decided there's nothing better to do than to go ahead and have a good time and get the most we can out of life. That's it. Eat, drink, and make the most of your job. It's God's gift. I've also concluded whatever God does, that's the way it's going to be always. No addition, no subtraction. God's done it, and that's it. That's so we'll quit asking questions and simply worship in holy fear. Whatever was is, whatever will be is, that's how it always is with God. What a thought. What a, what a, what a, what a I don't know, what a revelation here that, that the Word of God tells us that God has created all these things for our pleasure and that we are to enjoy life. We are to enjoy family. We are to enjoy food. We are to enjoy our job. We are, to, we, are, we are placed upon this earth to enjoy. God did not place us on this earth to be miserable. Now, again, I realize there are those that a different path a different way has been selected for them. Obviously, mission, missionaries in third world countries, obviously those that are worshiping, worshiping behind the Iron Curtain, there are different ones that, that obviously take different paths than you and I, I take. But this country that God has blessed us with, this is a country that we can go out and be what we want to be and do what we want to do and accomplish what we want to accomplish if we deem it important enough or if we deem it worthy enough. Do I have a friend in the house? So, so if you're living a life of drudgery, depression, discouragement, that's not the place that God has for you. There's another place. There's another door. There's another window that God has for you, and God wants to reveal himself to you. When God spoke to Abraham and said, hey, you're going to be a father. You're going to have kids. Sarah's going to have a kid. You're going to call him Isaac. You're going to, have, you're going to raise up many nations. You're going to touch the world. Abraham believed what God said. He believed that God could do it. And, and all of a sudden, Sarah comes to a place in her life where she realizes, I can't get pregnant. I'm at a place beyond pregnancy. I don't really know what to do. So I'm going to tell you what, Abraham, I have a slave here. Her name is Hagar, and, and she's a virgin, and I want you to know her, and maybe through her loins I can have children. And so sure enough, Sarah brings Hagar to Abraham, 
and Abraham and, and Hagar become one, and she gets pregnant. Then all of a sudden, when in her pregnancy, she begins to look at Sarah kind of with the attitude of, nani nani boo boo, I got pregnant, you didn't, there you have it. And so Sarah got all mad, and Sarah went to Abraham and blamed, <laughs> blamed him for getting Hagar pregnant. And of course, if you rewind, it wasn't Abraham at all, it was Sarah offering Hagar as a wife. And I don't know if there's a shortage of women or a shortage of men, but Abraham had two wives. He gets her pregnant, has a, has a son. But, when, but Abraham says to Sarah, hey, Hagar belongs to you. Do whatever you, do whatever you want. Do, do whatever you want. And so the Bible says Sarah was very, very mean, was very, very angry, was very, very frustrated, and treated Hagar harshly. So Hagar decides in, in this pregnancy to pack up her bags and leave. And as she packs up her bags and leaves in Genesis 16, she's leaving, she's gone, she's out in the wilderness. God comes to where she's at and says, Hagar, what are you doing? And Hagar told him, I'm, I'm with child. Sarah's been mean to me. I'm out of here. I, I don't, I don't want to I don't go through that. I don't want to be a part of that. And God tells Hagar to go back to the mistreatment of Sarah and just suck it up. I have never seen that in the word. I knew that Hagar left Sarah. I knew that Ishmael was with her, but I did not know that in her pregnancy. Go with me real quick. Let's look at that. Genesis 16. Two or three things this week I've, I've seen. I know I've read the book. Of, there's no telling how many times we have read the book of Genesis. But aren't we just like hummingbirds sitting on eagles' nests, thinking that we're eagles sitting on hummingbirds' nests? Do I have a friend in the house like me thinks he knows it all? I heard a comment over from my left. Thank you for being honest. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. That was his first mistake. He should not have. He should have said, Sarah, God's got a better plan. Let's wait for God. He did not. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham and dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. I didn't know, Pastor Ronda, they were married. That's the first time I've seen that in there. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, she, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Sarah said to Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. And Abraham said to Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dwelt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly. It shall not be numbered, it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child and shall bear a son, shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction." He'll be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he will dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I seen also here looked unto him that seeth me. I'm going to stop right there. Crazy story. Crazy story of, of, of Ishmael. And we know that later as Ishmael grows up and as Isaac is born, that Ishmael kind of beats Isaac up and they're, they're cast off in the wilderness. But something that I want to bring to your attention here, Hagar is probably at one of the worst times in her life. I don't know if you've ever spent much time with the pregnant woman. Pastor Rhonda, both her children was very calm. I did not, I did not. Some of the war stories I've heard, I never encountered that. I really, I really did. It was very pleasant uh, uh, going through that season of pregnancy with Pastor Rhonda. She didn't have any real weird appetites or real weird cravings. I don't think the smell of a whole lot of things messed her up. She was pretty normal. 
but there are some going through pregnancy, they're not normal. They're all freaked out. Their hormones are all freaked out. They want the weirdest things, the weirdest combination of things. They're touchy, they're irritable. This would not be a good time, Dad, for you to lift your hand and, and be in agreement. But we all know that it's true. So many jokes are made about the hormones of a, of a pregnant woman. And so Hagar is going through all this stuff of being pregnant, and she's going through all the stuff of Sarah not liking her, resenting her, putting all the chores on her, mistreating her, being mean to her. And so Hagar, like a lot of us, splits. She just leaves. She, she abandons her post, abandons her house, abandons her marriage, and she goes off in the wilderness. God comes to her and begins to speak to her, prophesy over the child that's in her womb, and tell her everything's going to be okay, and, and sends her back to that light affliction. Let me tell you something. The stuff that you're going through today, and we learned that two weeks ago in the potter's hand, the pressure that you're under if you're a piece of carbon, the pressure that you're under if you're a bit of sand in a, in a clam, that pressure that you're under if you're in that cocoon, in the pressure that you're under, there's a crushing going on and there's a restoration going on and there's a reformation going on and you're becoming the person that you're becoming because of the storms that you have weathered and the battles that you have survived. The song says, through many dangers, toils, and snares. And that's what life is all about. Lions, tigers, and bears. Dangers, toils, and snares. I mean, everywhere you turn, there's a, there's a challenge. Everywhere you turn, there's a, there's, a, there's a disagreement. Everywhere you turn, there's some kind of adversity. You look to your left. Every, everywhere you look, there's, there's adversity. And you look at it and say, how in the world can I survive this? How in the world can I endure this? Not realizing that that piece of charcoal endures that pressure, survives that pressure, and comes out as a diamond. That grid of sand turns out to be a pearl. That cocoon turns out to be a beautiful monarch butterfly. There's a reason for the pressure that you're under. There's a reason why God wants you to stay where you're at because you're not going to be able to learn what you need to learn when times are hunky-dory, hello, cushy. When, when, when you're in seasons of your life that you're on the mountain, something that you will learn, nothing grows on the mountain. It's great to be on the mountain. It's great to be in God's presence. It's great to be, you know, filled with joy and filled with God and filled with that. But nothing grows on the mountain. In the valley, he restoreth my soul. It is the daily journey, the daily walk that you're walking that determines who you are and what you're going to become. And I look at time. When I look at time, I look at the life of Hannah. Hannah was another mom that could not have kids. She was at the age where she could have kids, but she couldn't have kids. That generation believed that if you couldn't have kids, you were cursed. There was sin in your life. And this little lady went to the church and began to pray and, and, and prayed all she knew how to pray. And she started praying with her lips and praying from her heart and then speaking. And the man of God looked at her and thought that she was drunk and confronted her. And in that confrontation, he realized that she was believing God for a child. And in believing God for that child, the man of God looked at her and said, by this time next year, you'll have a child. Sometimes the stuff that we're going through puts us in a place with a ministry or, or someone more mature in the, in the Lord than we are, and they begin to give us counsel, begin to give us advice. You know why? Because they have walked that path. They've walked that journey. They've walked that mile. They know exactly where the pits are. They know exactly where the snares are. They know exactly what's going to hang you up and what's going to snag you, and God puts them in your life. One of two things. You're either going through the furnace, you're going through the den of lions, or he's going, to, he's going to prevent it before you get there. God can, has a thousand ways to work. I'm telling you, God has a thousand ways to work in your life. There's thousands of things he can do. You have one thing, and that's trust. Right. You've got to lean not into your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. I want to talk about that path. I learned something also, if you go with me to Genesis 18. I learned something also that I, I don't know how many times, and it's pretty crazy. Rather than read the entire, but here, here's the story. The angel of the Lord comes to Abraham's house. Abraham ministers unto them. They ask, where is Sarah, his wife? She's in the tent. And notice this, chapter, verse 10 of chapter 18. What a powerful, powerful revelation to everyone in life that wishes they had never been born. 
What a powerful, powerful truth to everyone in life that feels like they'll never amount to anything. What a powerful, powerful thing in life that those of you that maybe you felt like you were just a mistake. Your mom and dad should have used birth control and they did and, and you're just a mistake and you're here. And let me tell you something, the world is filled with people that have no destiny. They have no hope. They have no life. They have no, they have no light. They have no laughter. They're miserable. But did you know the day, the night, the morning that you were conceived, that God was there with your parents making sure everything worked out okay? Did you know that you are divinely ordained of God to be here, that when you were conceived, that God was there? When Courtney was born there at Erlanger, God was there. When Christine was born at the pavilion, God was there. God was in the room. I almost missed Christine's birth. I was deer hunting in South Georgia in an ice storm. We were private plane, flew in to, to hunt. Ice storm came out. We could not get out. And, and, and Rhonda said, go on. Say, I'm okay. I won't have the baby for a couple more days. Well, I get gone. I'm in a tree. I get a call. She's going into labor. I have no way to get there. So one of my church members put me in a suburban, drove 100 some miles all the way, got me here just a few minutes before Christine was born. The nurses looked at me, uh, mad at me, looked at me, but I made it. I think I camouflage on, but I, I did make it. But did you know that when Courtney, when, when, when Courtney was conceived, when Christine was conceived, God was there? Well, that changes the whole. Look at verse 10. And God said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah was very old, stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner. In other words, she was too old to get pregnant. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Not only was she old, Abraham was old. They're both withered up. They're both about to die, the age of 100, age of 90. And the Lord said to Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which I'm old? Is anything, watch this, too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed. It's appointed for you to be born. It's appointed for you to die. It's appointed for you to plant it's appointed for you to reap. It's appointed for you to laugh and to be seasoned in your life when you will cry. There's seasoned in your life you are going to be discouraged. There's seasoned in your life that you're going to be encouraged. It is appointed. God's appointment, it was appointed. Notice what it says. At the time appointed, verse 14, is it anything too hard for God? At the time appointed, I will return to thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. How crazy, how crazy is that? Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90. They're at the age now where they could be grandparents or even great-grandparents. And, and, and God is saying, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a son. And exactly the way that God said it, exactly the way God planned it, Sarah got pregnant, had a child, named him Laughter. His name is Isaac. And that generation changed the world. I said that generation changed the world. Sarah will die later in life. Abraham, at the age of 110, will go and remarry and have six more kids. Six more kids. Hundred and some odd years old. He's still spitting them out. I mean, how scary, how scary is that? That not only God just gave him one child to redeem the world, that from the loins would come the Messiah, but God gave him six more, and he lived to be 175 years old. I'm talking to a very young congregation. I realize that. But don't ever feel like you're too old. Don't ever feel like you're a mistake. Don't ever feel like that you wish you'd never been born. Don't ever come to a place you question God to such a degree that you put yourself down, that you, burn your, that you burn yourself out, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and he's watching over to fulfill it, whether you want him to or whether you want it to manifest or not. Can somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise? What a, what a powerful, when I think of time, when I think of God speaking to Abraham, taking out of what was comfortable into a, into a new land. And then several years went by before God speaks to Abraham. When I, when I think about Noah, 500 years old that God speaks to him. When I think about Jacob, Jacob fell in love with Rebekah, made a plan to work for her for seven years. On the wedding night, he got the older sister. You know the story. Worked 14 years for a bride. I wonder, 
And Jerry, I'm not looking at you, but I wonder, Donnie, how many of us would be willing to work seven years, no wages, just to have our wife's hand in marriage? Jerry, your head's going up. Donnie, your head's going up. Everybody, Keith, your head's going up. Absolutely. I'd work 14 years. But, but when you look at that, to wait seven years to get married, to have a wife, to have children, to enjoy lovemaking, I mean, how, how crazy is that? Then when I think of Joseph, Joseph has a dream. He's resented because he's the baby. He's cast into a, into a, into a prison. He's sold as a slave. He's in, he's in the dungeon. He's in the prison. All those years waiting Hannah, for one dream to come to pass. One chance for him to interpret a dream. His destiny, his purpose. You know the story. He saved the land of Goshen. He saved, he saved all those that came out of the bondage into the land of promise when he brought his dad and all of his children in. Matter of fact, Jacob, when he heard that Joseph was dead, said, I want to die. Live 30 more years. Time, things happen in time. Things happen in the season of time. I think about Jesus. At the age of five, could have turned the water into wine. At the age of 12, could have raised the dead. But waited until he was 30 years of age before he performed one miracle, before he spoke one word. You know why? Because it was a law of that day for the high priest to enter in the Holy of Holies. He had to be 30 years of age. Even Jesus waited for time to, to, to be fulfilled before he stepped into his ministry. As a matter of fact, when his mom told him about the wedding, you all know the story. You know what he said? He said, my time is not yet here. In other words, he knew that when I make this decision from this window to this window, I'm going to die. He wasn't all that much of a, in a hurry to get involved in his ministry because he knew the beginning marked the end and the end marked the beginning. Does that help anybody in this place today? What was is, what is is, and what will be is. That's the way that God operates. That's the way that God works. When I think about, when I think about people waiting, I think about Isaiah 40 and 31. Those of you know, that's one of my favorite scriptures. But they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be worried. They shall walk and not faint. And when I look at that word wait, and you've been with me when I've talked about this word, but, and, and I would, if Jay is here, Jay and I, we love to fish. He always catches more than me. That's because he's at the front of the boat. He moves the boat in. He throws in the best places, and I got to come and play catch up. We love to fish. If Jay were to call me tonight and say, hey, I want to take it in my honey hole. We're going to catch some fish, some big fish. I want you there at 5 a.m. I'd be there. Robbie, I'd be there. I'd be, and you know what? If he didn't get there till 6, I would still be there. I would wait till he got there because I'm going to enjoy the day. Do I have a friend in the building that understands, knows to wait for something you like to do? And then I think about wait. I think about maybe today or maybe tomorrow we'll go to Outback or we'll go to Aubrey's and we sit down. A beautiful waitress comes in, serves us our food, waits upon us and blesses us. I think about that kind of servanthood about being a servant, not just, not just waiting for, for God to move, but to serve God while we're waiting for him to move. But that word means neither of those two. That word quava is a Hebrew word, which means to bind together as in the process of building a rope or a braid. We know the threefold cord is not easily broken. And so that what that word is saying is that when we, that word wait, when we weave our life in the life of God's life, when we weave our desires into the, the web of God's desires, when we make him first and we begin to seek him, seek you the Lord while he may be found. When you begin to seek him, seek you first the kingdom of God, and you begin to find him and know his way, and you begin to bind together with him, then it says your strength is going to be renewed. Now this, this hasn't happened to most of you in the building. But when you're 15, 20, 30, I mean, you are at the top of your game. You can fish all night, get up and work all day. But when you get a little older, especially around the age of 50, things begin to stop working correctly. Things fall off. Things fall down. Things fall in. Things fall over. And you spend several years of your life remembering how it used to be. We played a song on the radio by Andre Crouch. brought back some memories of a Christian rock band that I was in. Forty years ago, I played lead guitar, and we played at Disneyland. We were, we, were, we were the church's meow. We went to a lot of different churches, and a song 
on that we played today, it reminded me of that season in my life when I was so tender to the things of God. And I was so young and there weren't so many distractions and I had time to pray all night and I had time to read and study. Can, any, anybody bear witness with that? I, re, I remember those seasons in my life when, 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 when God was fresh and, God was, and I was weaving my life into the things of God. And when we begin to do that, this old tired, worn out body seems to receive strength without caffeine. Hello. Without nicotine. Hello. Without speed. In, in a natural sense, God begins to give us strength to do the job, the chore, the ministry he's called us to do. They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. I mean, it's hard to be an eagle when you hang out with a bunch of buzzards. Do I have a friend in the house? It's tough if you're in an environment where everything is negative, critical. We talked about that. You go where you're tolerated, not celebrated. You don't make decisions in your life to surround yourself with godly people that encourage you, that will bless you, that will better you. It's tough to fly like an eagle when you're hanging out with a bunch of turkeys. Hello. Their own opinion, their own, their own vain way. It's tough. But the Lord says if you will manage to, to interact your time with his time, interact your words with his words, interact your schedule with his schedule, then you are going to mount up with wings as eagles. You're going to run and not be weary. You're going to walk and not faint. And when I think about walk, when I think about the walk of the Lord and where we're walking right now, I think of the story of Job. I believe it's in 23 and 10, and I will not go there for sake of time. But here's what, here's what I do know about this walk, this, this path that we're on. The Bible says, thy word is a lamp in my feet and a light in my path. And I'm coming to closure here. There is a straight and narrow way. Narrow is the gate. Tiny is the way. And the Bible says, few there be that find it. Many people go through their entire life existence never actually realizing that they can walk where God wants them to walk and do what God wants them to do because they always sell themselves short. Beth Moore said it. A lot of people don't even know if they're saved or not. Not only was God there the night you were conceived, before you were conceived, God knew every thought you would ever think, every word you'd ever speak, every friend you'd ever make, every tea you'd ever drink, every place you'd ever go. He knew it all. He, he, he marked you from birth. There's a mark on you. The Old Testament's called Ta. The New Testament's called Chi. Ta is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Chi is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And Gary, there he, he, he blends the two. He blends the Jew and he blends the Gentile. And we are, we are marked. Every demon in hell knows who you belong to. Every angel in heaven knows who you belong to. There's a mark. There's a, it's a clear mark. And God knows his own. I think a lot of times we're at a place where we feel like we're not living up to a standard that maybe we learned as a child or another denomination, another organization. Maybe we grew up with a list of don'ts. I didn't really have all those many don'ts in my life. There were things that we could not do. We couldn't shoot pool. We couldn't go mixed bathing, whatever that means. I've never gotten a swimming pool with a bar of soap, so I'm not sure what mixed bathing means, but we couldn't go mixed bathing. We couldn't shoot pool. My hair could not touch the top of my ear growing up. There were, there were things bewitched. There were things we were not allowed to watch on television. But really, serving God was not a list of don'ts, but serving God is a list of do's. There's a possibility, and the Lord has allowed me twice to raise the dead. There's a possibility God wants you to lay hands on something that's dead and speak to it and bring it back to life. How crazy would that be? There's, there's a promise that you can think the thoughts of God. You can know the thoughts of God. You can walk in that supernatural anointing. You can walk into a hospital room that just the echo of your voice on a cell phone can raise somebody up that was sick. That you can go into a Baptist ministry and you can preach a Baptist. I know Pastor Connie, if I told you a story, Pastor Jeff, the little Baptist preacher, preached his guts out there in the, in the assisted living, laid hands on someone that walked in 20 years and she started walking that day. You never know what God wants to do through you. There's a lodging place in the wilderness, Ryan. Safe place, a lodging place. There's a place you've got to go to meet some people you're supposed to meet, to hear some things you're supposed to hear, to be able to do some things you're supposed to do. This season of discouragement, this season of where I am, who I am, what I'm supposed to be, this season is coming to closure, and you're about to step into a brand new season 
where things are going to start to make sense. And things that were spoken over you as a child, complete strangers are going to speak them again. And you're going to stir up that spirit and you're going to remember and you're going to pursue. And your, your, la- your latter days are much better than your former days in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share that. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Okay, so let me, let me conclude with the chair. Skip that page of notes. These are good notes. I might preach them later. I wrote down a question when I think of Job. Job, like the friends I talked to on the phone yesterday, very upset at God. Very upset at God. One One of the family I'm ministering to is caught up in a lifestyle that many people don't agree with. I don't judge her. I don't criticize her. I just love her. Raised her whole life in the house of God, is now doubting the existence, of, the existence of God because of what they're going through. Job said, where's God? I'd like to argue with him. I'd like to fuss. I'd like, I'd like to tell him what I'm thinking. I can't find him. He's not ahead of me. Sometimes we can miss God. He's not behind me. Sometimes we get ahead of God. He's not on my left. Sometimes we can do bad stuff to get God. Some kids only do bad stuff to get attention. Robbie, can, can we relate? He's not on my right. We just usually move. There are, there are CDs, there are cassettes in my life that I, if I don't feel God, I can, plug, I can plug in a song, Jay, and I can feel God's presence, feel that car, and all of a sudden I found God through that CD or through a sermon. I, I gotta, I gotta, I've never met him, but I follow his ministry, Bob Gass. He can preach. I can hear. I'm encouraged. I'm motivated. But Job said, not even my Nancy Harmon's tapes are doing it. Hillsong's not touching God. I don't know where God's at. I like to fuss at him. I told the kids several years ago, you need to go out in the woods and you and God need to have a conversation. And if you feel like it, you need to cuss him out and tell him exactly what you think. He did that. Lost a child at birth. God spoke to him, wrote a song, dedicated to me. How cool is that? God can handle your frustration. God can handle your anger. Job said, ahead of me, behind me, my left, my right. Nevertheless, he knows the path that I take. And when he's done trying me, I shall come forth as pure gold. Hannah, it's a test. It's a trial. It's a journey. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that we go through. That God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. You're going to see the occurry or the end of the matter. You're going to know why you went that, that divorce, why there was an abortion, why there were drugs, why there was financial disaster, why there was pain, why there was separation. You'll, you'll understand that all by and by. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. This place... David said, give ear to my word, O Lord, consider my meditation. I believe it's important if you don't do anything else this year with this ministry, with the message that come from this, this platform, I want you to commit to me that you will make yourself or find yourself a chair. I want you to put that, pla- that chair in a place where there's not a lot of distractions. I wouldn't put the chair around the phone. I wouldn't put the chair around the TV. I wouldn't put a chair around the vacuum cleaner. It's amazing how when you, pers- when you desire to pursue God, it's amazing how many distractions the enemy can throw your way. I recommend you get a chair. And I recommend you get a coffee cup. And I recommend if you smoke, you get an ashtray. And that's your place that you get alone with God. I'm going to encourage you. There are 31 days in the month. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to encourage you. Every morning before you do anything to read, today's the 13th, read the 13th chapter of Proverbs. I'm going to read it today because of lack of time. I will not. But the most important thing that I want you to know that in that chair, things are going to happen to help you be a better man or a better woman. 